I'm Alex Stille, and this is Vision Vibes. This story was originally broadcast on television as part of NHK World Japan's interview series, Direct Talk. Think back to some of the most important and consequential meetings you've had in your life. Perhaps meeting your significant other at a nice restaurant, or holidays with your family, drinks with friends, an important business lunch. The funny thing is, wherever you are in the world, there's a pretty strong chance these encounters happened in a similar way, over either food or drinks. How we feed ourselves goes far beyond survival. Food is central to our culture, to the fabric of our society. Our staple foods remind us of our roots, while more exotic dishes invite us to travel, meet people from around the world, and connect over a slice of our common humanity. Which is why the way we grow food is so important. Since the Industrial Revolution, we've been focusing on output and yields to feed our expanding population. Now, as the planet warms and our future is in peril, we need to look at more sustainable farming techniques. Today's guest, Kenneth Rimdahl, has built his career on aligning business with biodiversity. His journey took him from his native Sweden all the way to northern Thailand, where he specializes in tea. Myung is a unique strain of edible tea, native to the forests of Thailand. It coexists with the local fauna and flora in a complex renewable ecosystem. When fermented, the sour and bitter Myung leaves are similar to pickles. The interesting flavor profile has helped the tea garner a lot of attention, from local eateries to Michelin star restaurants. Sensing an opportunity, Kenneth founded Monsoon Tea. He purchases Myung from local farmers in Chiang Rai, northern Thailand, supporting the region's economy. How can a commercial tea business help preserve the environment? Let's join narrator Hannah Grace and find out on today's episode of Vision Vibes. The mountains of Chiang Rai in northern Thailand. Here in the Thai forests, Rimdal makes use of Myung to address the great challenge of forest preservation. He says there's a big difference between forests in Thailand and forests in his homeland of Sweden. It's criticized a lot lately because we thought we had a lot of forests, but it's actually not forests, it's just pine plantations. So a lot of part of our Swedish forest, they cut down before and then they plant again. So it looks like forest, but actually the biodiversity is not there because it's actually the, the paper and wood factories who owns that and they just have many trees and the trees is not Trees doesn't mean forest. Forest means biodiversity. It's grass, it's medium grow plants, it's, it's the, all that lives in the forest, that's forest. But if you just have 100,000 trees of the same kind, that doesn't give any biodiversity. So that is a mistake sometimes that we think about forest, that forest is tree. Be careful. Yeah. So, but it's, it's not, it's much more than a tree. The ancient tea that grew in the Himalayas was originally eaten. It is said that around the first century BC, this tea was fermented, dried, and infused in water. And that was the start of tea drinking. 
Miang represents a last trace of this edible tea. So that the Miang is actually the beginning of the consumption of tea, long before the drinking of tea. So the Miang, and it's, not, it's kind of normal. If you think about the tea in the beginning was growing wild in the forest as a wild plant, like any other plant, but only in one area in the world. It's in the mountain between Assam in India, into Burma, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and Yunnan in China. There was the only place in the world where the tea plant was growing. So then people come up there and start to want to live in these mountains. What are the first things they do? They look for food. So they go around testing things, what to eat and so on. And they found the tea leaves and they probably realized that this have is good for the energy or good for working, keeps you awake or something like that. No? Rimdahl was born in Stockholm in 1961. After studying business in university, he reported from all over the world for a travel magazine. He eventually became fascinated by the deep and rich world of tea. After leaving the magazine, he joined a friend in the tea business. In 1994, he opened a black tea shop in Spain. Their shops became popular, successfully growing into a chain of 120 outlets in Spain and Latin America. When, I'm, when we are starting to grow in Spain, we started to be big enough for starting to uh, buy products direct from the source, especially teapots and things like that. No? So I'm, I went to Asia to source teapots in Japan and, and China, Vietnam and so on. And then I also went to Thailand because I knew that they made uh, British traditional teapot. I just know that it was made in Thailand. I didn't know more, but I made, know it's made in Thailand. So I just went to Thailand to source for teapots. And I never heard about that Thailand have tea or anything. So I just came here just looking for teapots. And that's how I came back to Thailand again. And, and uh, then I met uh, my friend Ek, who helped me source the teapots and so on. We found them in Lampang, a little bit south of Chiang Mai. And then when I said I'm working with tea and so on with him, and he said that Thailand have tea. It was Ek a member of the Shan ethnic minority group who introduced Rimdal to Miang. Kenneth come to Thailand and asked me about uh, Thailand have tea, something like that. I said, yes, of course we have tea. And then he, he don't believe in the beginning. He just said, can you take me to looking the tea? But at first I don't know where the, the tree growing from. I took him to Wallalot Market and to see Miang for it. And Kenneth said, it's not, it's not tea. And this doesn't look like tea, does it? <laughs> so I didn't believe him that this was, it doesn't look like tea. So I didn't believe him. I thought it was something else, like spinach or something. That they, yeah. But he said this was tea. So when I didn't believe him, he took me up in the mountains and he showed me where this was coming from. And then I realized that it was actually the tea bush. But the tea bush was growing completely different from all the other tea plantations I've seen in Japan, in China, in Sri Lanka, and so on. So this tea, this tea was growing together with the rest of the forest and growing like high trees and so on. And together with the biodiversity and all the rest of the forest. So that made me start to think 
just like, wow, this is another way how tea can grow, not only in these monocrop tea plantations that I've seen. So this is, uh, and this is happening about 20 years ago. Uh, but that's the beginning of how I started to think about the possibility of opening a company that produced tea from Thailand and forest-friendly tea. Rimdal decided to leave behind his hugely successful tea business in Spain, and in 2012 he founded Monsoon Tea in the Thai city of Chiang Mai. He was fascinated by the fact that unlike commercial plantations, teas used for Miang grew wild in the forests, and locals only harvested what they needed. The why I maybe touched already because I started to think about this was a beautiful way of the tea to grow together with the forest and so on. So it was for me, of course, an ecological feeling that I could see immediately that this tea grows together with all the rest of the forest. And the normal tea that I buy grows in tea plantations where they cut down the forest first. I don't see that it's bad or anything, but of course it became like an interesting thing for me to to uh, think about maybe we can produce tea from in the same way as the tea grows for making the miang because it's the same plant, it's just different processing. One is for fermenting for eating and the other thing is, is uh, processing for drinking. Uh, the main thing is that what the miang gave me, that the thing start to think about first, at the first place about uh, the environment like the, the forest or the biodiversity. So let's say like this, if I, someone comes to me here with the best tea in the world, that's absolutely delicious, so amazing. But then I see it comes from a normal tea plantation with no forest at all, with all these things cut down. I cannot sell it if I don't start a reforestation program. But so for me, like number one, but Normally when you work with tea, you try to get the best tea. That's what you try to get. Secondly, you try to find so it's organic or something like that. But for me, it's kind of, first it is, how does it grow? And that means forest friendly. That's number, point number one. And then from that, we have to develop the tea in the best possible way. So it tastes good for, for our customers. Uh, and uh, so that is like... I start from another point, you can say. Rimdal is always conscious of fair trade. He buys his tea leaves at the asking price from Miang farmers in four villages. He says there is no point in doing business unless the wild tea of the forest gives something back to the local area. So finally I sourced all the tea and I sourced the the flavoring facilities and so on, so we could start to flavor tea. And then I can start to make my blends. So now we have more than 100 different kinds of tea. No? So, yeah, and after I, I realized that we were on the right track, then we started more serious. And this is about six years ago when I got this shop here, this place, where we also start a restaurant where we can also cook with the miang so we because the miang is the base of the eating tea is the base of my of, of monsoon tea so we wanted to have a place where where uh, we can also show the miang and we can also use the miang and cook with the miang because it's kind of the beginning how we start the, the tea this kind of tea i like a, i like to create the food yeah and then can you say can you put the tea 
eat the food. I'm saying, yes, of course, I can do it. And then I'm fry and I'm decorate the, the, the lana food and put miang or tea leaf. Together with Russian entomologist Alexei Reshkov, Rimdal has also started researching the insects and animals that coexist with miang. He plans to create a platform to inform tea lovers about how changes in the ecosystem affect interactions between species. He make research about insects around tea around the world. We let people send in pictures from insects that are around uh, together with tea. And he came here to put up insect traps to start to look on to, to see how much insect we have around our tea. Uh, and the insects is very interesting because normally when we talk about tea and insects, the insects are a threat. But for us it's not because the more insects we have, the more balanced it is. So if an insect likes to eat the tea, there's always another insect eating that insect. So it's kind of to have that the the diversity of insects it's it's like our pesticides you know uh, so we will start all this processing of measuring the biodiversity around our tea so hopefully within one year or something because in the beginning we just have to take in data so next year or soon as soon as we can we will be able to to put on every tea that we have we'll be able to put how forest friendly is it from one to five so it's, it's a tea that grows with a very high biodiversity like a wild tea completely in the jungle it probably will have a number five but if we take over a tea plantation that is a normal tea plantation that doesn't have forest it probably have a very low biodiversity but we we turn it into be forest friendly at the moment we start to the re-biodiversification. Normally you call it reforestation, but we can start like kind of microforestry around it. So we, we increase quickly, try to increase quickly the biodiversity around the tea. What has Rimdal learned from all his work? The more you know, the more you know how little you know. I like this phrase because it's, uh, it's related to my life. I've been now working with tea for so many years. And I'd read a lot about tea, I've been traveling around with tea, and I just realized that I know nothing. Because you all the time, every time I go out there and every time I work with this, with this product, I know things that I didn't know before. And I also met so many extremely knowledgeable people about tea, and they've always been very open-minded and always seeking of new information on, on this field. But sometimes also new, meet young people who know a little bit about tea and they suddenly think they are specialists and knows everything and they are like really kind of... So that's why I choose this phrase because it's very important to understand that it doesn't matter how much you know, you always need to know more. There's always more to learn. The more you know, the more you know how little you know. In our highly online society, we tend to confuse having a lot of information with having a lot of knowledge. Social media is full of strong positions on very complicated issues. Kenneth reminds us of the importance of taking a step back 
acknowledging our own ignorance and respecting the diversity and complexity of the world around us. His philosophy extends to his relationship with nature. Often when humans make things, we only focus on output, figuring out every detail of how to manufacture and sell a product. Kenneth focuses on harmony, disturbing nature as little as possible. He knows that, like with climate change, when we mess with nature, by the time we understand the true consequences of our actions, it's often too late. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript as well as our other stories on the NHK World website. I've been Alex Stille. Join us next time for more mind-expanding insights from inspiring people on Vision Vibes.